Thanks, Tom. Thank you for praying on behalf of us. It was very needed today. Um, as Tom mentioned, my name is Leanne, and I'm a part of the team here. I'm a mum to three girls, and I just have been praying so hard that what I share today will land where it needs to land because it has been such a great time for me preparing for this, and I've just, um, yeah, I've really felt God speak to me um, as I've been preparing, as into my heart speak to me. So I really hope that um, my words will also be part of the Holy Spirit, being able to reach out to where you're at today. Um, if you've been here through Acts, I hope you have enjoyed, enjoyed the wild ride that we've been on. With every chapter, it seems like there's more unexpected things, book burnings, shaving of heads, riots, and ruckai, I get to say that word. <laughs> if Tom gets to say ruckai, so do I. Um, Spirit-filled, inspired preaching. Um, and last week, we even had a resurrection grenade. I'm not even sure that that was a thing, but it was. And there's, the list goes on and on. And when um, Tom sent me the teaching schedule for tonight, I noticed that the passage was like three and a half chapters. And I was like, okay, three and a half chapters, so much can happen in Acts in three and a half chapters. So um, here's the thing. We find Paul where Tom left off last week, having been taken into custody from the Sanhedrin as a prisoner. And then the next night, the Lord visits him and says, you have testified in Jerusalem. Now you're going to testify in Rome. And then you go to the end of the three chapters that I have and you read the next verse and it says that he is boarding a ship, still a prisoner, heading to Rome. So if you had not, have not had a chance to read the three chapters in between, you might be curious about the fact that this is a big change up in pace for Paul. I mean, um, usually him and his entourage would be moving around the country, they would be moving around multiple countries, causing a stir, doing all that, and yet if you were following the map in a modern day GPS setting, the little dot would have stopped and just be blinking in one spot right now. And um, we find Paul in a place where his missionary journey um, has seemed halted. His world has been reduced to one room. He has no control over what is coming next. He is constantly faced with unexpected changes and he finds he has a lot of time on his hands. Kind of sounds familiar, right? Like as my teenage daughter would say, like 2020, right? Yeah. So this week we went through the first week of the second year of this COVID-19 thing. And if I was to ask you to think back a year ago, you would probably be able to say with great clarity exactly where you were. And I'm guessing most of you, if we started talking through the months, you would um, identify with the, the pain Paul is feeling of plans that were halted, constant moving goalposts, no control over what was happening around you, loss with like capital letters and bolded, and maybe even some extra time on your hands. And Paul's plans weren't halted by a global pandemic, and our plans weren't halted by being in prison for preaching Jesus. So hang in with me and see where I'm going. Um, I think we can learn a lot from Paul, and especially in these chapters that we're going to look at today. Somehow, Paul keeps going on, and Paul keeps moving forward in the path that God has for him. And this period that we're going to look at today is two and a bit years. It's a long time. I mean, it's two years of not what Paul planned. Um, and we've had one year, and the other week when Tom asked us if we were... Uh, no, we've had a year, and last week when Tom asked us if we were tired, I think we could hear the amens from 
forever, for, from out, outside, inside, and we're tired. And this is a two and a half year time where Paul was faced with really unexpected changes. I'm not going to read the whole three and a half chapters, but I'm going to give you a highlight reel. So let's, let's get ready. Um, the commander ordered the troops to go down and take Paul away from the Sanhedrin by force and bring him into the barracks. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves um, with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. The plot was uncovered and the re reported to the commander. So the commander called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen and take Paul to Caesarea at nine tonight. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to his, a letter to His Excellency Governor Felix and handed Paul over to him. My computer all week kept autocorrecting to Felix Reyes, so I'm sorry, Felix. We know you're a good Felix, and this is a not good Felix, so my apologies. Like, um, Felix said, I will hear your case when the accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard at Herod's palace. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer, and they brought charges against Paul before the governor. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, then I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul, and he listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As, as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now, you may leave. When I find it convenient, then I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. You remember the big offering that Paul had been collecting as he'd been going along? Felix knew he had um, access to all that money. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing to ambush and kill him along the way. That's ambush, ambush two. After spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day, he convened a court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. Paul concluded that he would never receive a fair hearing under these present circumstances, so exercising his right as a Roman citizen, he appealed his case to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. Then a few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. So Festus shared Paul's story with King Agrippa. And Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. Now, just as a side note, King Herod Agrippa II was the son of Herod Agrippa I, and the great-grandson of Herod the Great. Bernice was his sister, and there were rumors that the relationship was incestuous. And as Stott says in one of his commentaries, it was a dramatic moment when the holy and humble apostle of Jesus Christ stood before this representative of the worldly, ambitious, morally corrupt family of the Herods, who for generation after generation had set themselves 
in opposition to the truth and righteousness. His great-grandfather was Herod the Great, who had tried to kill the infant Jesus by murdering the babies in Bethlehem. His, fa his father killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and was intending to execute Peter had he not escaped from prison. And his grandfather's brother beheaded John the Baptist and was called the fox by Jesus. Needless to say, the line of Herods did not have a favourable disposition towards Christians. So Paul is brought before King Agrippa, whole shebang, pomp, ceremony, military officials, um, court officials, workers, poor people, everybody was there, and Festus gave him a chance to speak. And this is Paul's fifth and last long speech in Acts, and in fact, it takes up nearly a whole chapter, and I'm just going to skip right over it other than giving you the first line. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and I testify to small and great alike. And then, instead of defending himself, Paul just tells his testimony, tells his story about Jesus finding him. And Festus interrupts him and says, you are out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. And then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can make me a Christian? And that was that. And as King Agrippa and Festus conferred afterwards, King Agrippa was heard saying, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So that's quite the list, right? You've got to admit, for, <laughs> for someone to gather in two years. Now, there was a couple of good things, and we'll throw them in there. You know, he was allowed to have his friends visit him, and the fact that Felix was totally corrupt actually kept Paul alive because by putting him into prison, he stopped the, the Jews from ripping him limb to limb, basically. So that's, that's a bonus, right? So even though this GPS light is blinking and Paul is supposedly not doing much, he still has this list. And in my preparation, I was reading through a commentary and I got to, <laughs> I got to this line. Humanly speaking... Things weren't going well for Paul. Uh, you know that gif where the girl spits her coffee out and she like, <laughs> somebody says something? I literally couldn't believe it. I was like, humanly speaking, things weren't going well for Paul, do you think? Um, and here's the truth. Our um, list that we have from this last year is not too different. Like, I know that we didn't get taken under guard in the middle of the night, but I'm sure if you were to write a list of things that have happened, you probably have something on there that's scary. You've had something happen that has been overwhelming. You have experienced a loss. You have had a loved one in pain. As Tom said, you know, things have just blindsided us one after the other in this last year. And, you know, we could probably throw in a couple of good things too, but the truth is we face the same as Paul at any time in our life, we have our list. So how did Paul keep going? I'm going to offer you one word today, trust. Um, and I'm going to try to avoid doing five different sermons on that one word and just stick with how did God trust, Paul trust God day in and day out. I'm going to read some verses um, that are Paul's words about who he trusted and why he trusted them. And then I just want to move on to how did he do this day in and day out? So what is trust? Here's a, a dictionary definition of trust. Assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone. Here's Paul's definition in Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And here's his why and, and who statement, who he trusts and why. 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, and he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for the very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Trust is being all in with God. And Paul was all in. In Acts 17, 28, he writes, In God we live and move and have our being. This verse comes from the scene that Kerry described to us where Paul was speaking, I can't even say the word, but in that big area where there was lots of different uh, religions and people um, gathered. Some had no reference to God in their lives. They lived life because it was meant to be lived. Some thought truth would be found through discipline and self-control. And the second half of this verse goes on. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul used their own poetry and philosophy um, to reach out to them and say, God is not just this person you ignore or are distance from. It is someone that we live and move and have our being. If we accept God's gift of Jesus, we become his children and we respond to his love by living and moving and being every day in God's hands. And um, in practical terms, that means we bring our lists with us and we put them in God's hands. Um, I'm going to suggest that Paul had an awareness of three things that helped him trust. And I've used the word awareness because I didn't want it to be like just something that he knew and filed away for a later time. It was like something that informed every day for him. It was a mindfulness. It was something that helped him live and move and have his being in God. So first of all, Paul had an awareness of purpose. And I don't know if I just said this or not because my, my brain's going fast, but this are, these are three things that if we adopt them, if we have these awarenesses just like Paul, we too can live and move and have our being with God. So Paul had an awareness of purpose. I'm going to take you right back to Acts 1.8, the very beginning. I spoke on this at the very beginning of the Acts um, series. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Paul knew his purpose. Paul knew he was Jesus' witness. He testified. He told his story at every opportunity. He was like an equal opportunity storyteller. He was like talking to male, female, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile. He did not stop. Um, and like I think Tom called it a three-peat the other day, you know, it just it, it, his story of how Jesus met him. And if you don't know his story, read Acts 9, I believe it's Acts 9, um, and, and read his incredible story. And Kerry encouraged us a few weeks ago 
to write down our story, know our before, know our after, know how we can witness to our friends, our family about the difference Jesus has made in our life. What has his sacrificial love done for us in that how has it changed us? How can we witness to the amazing grace and power and love and mercy of knowing Jesus? Um, And Paul was an expert at it. He also imitated Jesus. Just as Christ faithfully proclaimed the truth while he was suffering, so did Paul and, and so must we. You know, he took the lead from Jesus on loving God and as Scruff said, know what you love, know who you love and sacrificially loving others. And if you have not heard about sacrificially loving others and you've been around Crossroads for a while, I need to have a talk with you. <laughs> so, but but Paul, Paul had it. He imitated Jesus and he loved um, and he prayed. Paul prayed so hard. He prayed for people. He prayed for churches. He prayed for people that didn't know Jesus. He prayed that they would come to know Jesus. And now when we pray, we say amen at the end. And it's like a declaration of trust. It's like putting everything in God's hands. And um, Paul, the final verse in these, these three chapters, when Agrippa says to him, are you trying to make me a Christian? This is what Paul says. Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Amen. Like, we are not called to make someone be a Christian, but we are called to pray for them and to testify and to imitate Jesus and love them. Um, For Paul, it was enough to know what God wanted him to do and to trust that God would use his hardship to accomplish something wonderful and unexpected. With this limited knowledge of his future, but also with trusting God's spirit, Paul committed himself to fulfilling his purpose. Paul also had a very strong awareness of suffering. He suffered more than uh, most for Jesus' sake. And he was definitely aware of the suffering and the hardship that was coming for him as he obeyed Jesus. And he was even willing to be martyred, to go to his death. And as we look at the Bible, we know that following Jesus is never promised to be easy. There are a lot of times words like rocky path and narrow gate and that are used. And to follow Christ means that we die to our own way of doing things. Luke 9 says, uh, tells us that Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Our right to direct our own lives is dead to us. Um, often our greatest suffering comes from battling with our heart um, and having it die to its own lordship and surrendering to Jesus. So often we say, yeah, God, we trust you. And then we like go off and make some phone calls and um, try and find the easiest path, you know, um, and we try and find something that might make us feel comfortable. We try and take pain away. I mean, parents, how many times have we done this? We trust you with our kids, God, and then we do everything in our power to make their life as pain-free and easy (laughs) and struggle-free as possible. Um, You know, Paul penned verses like, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. This idea of um, taking control of our own lives 
to make it easy and comfortable was not something that Paul was familiar with. He was content, whatever the circumstances. And he also knew that suffering would come because as a follower of the way, he was at odds with the world. We are at odds with the world living like Jesus. You know, we will feel pain, we will feel exhaustion, uh, we will feel resistance as we sacrificially love, as we talk about the cross, and as we trust someone other than ourselves, because that is not what the world does. And lastly, Paul was really, really aware of blessing. And this is my favorite part, <laughs> because as we remember blessing, as we look back at what God has done through our lists and through our lives, um, we realize that it points us back to him. It brings us back to the origin of the blessing. And Paul was not alone. He had friends. He had friends who traveled with him, stayed with him, came and visited him in his house arrest, cared for his needs. We are not alone. We have crossroads. I am just like, we have this family. It is a blessing. It is a blessing to me. And I hope that I'm a blessing to you as part of Crossroads because that's what we're called to be as we come together as a family. We are called to bless one another and we're not alone. Um, Paul was protected. Paul continued to be able to do what he was going called to do and able to move towards Rome because of these crazy governors who didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> they were like making it up as they went along. And God used them to move him safely from one thing to another and on to Rome, where he ultimately was taking the gospel to the Gentiles. He continued to teach. Now, it wasn't how he had been teaching. He wrote letters. He wrote so many letters. So many of these verses that I'm reading today are Paul's writings as he's in prison. He continued to preach. We talked about this, you know, as he told his story. So even though his circumstances didn't look like he thought they would look, the blessings came. They came because he was able to continue to do what he was called to do. And as we remember God's care for us and the blessings that come, I just want to give a shout out to the Holy Spirit <laughs> because it is the Holy Spirit that does care for us and guide us and speak to us. Tom spoke last week about giving us the words when we need it. And Paul was so attuned to the Holy Spirit in his life. He could look back over his missionary journeys and, and realize that, you know, God never, ever left him. And as part of that, too, was his relationship with Jesus. And, you know, stats say if you are in a trustworthy relationship, like a human relationship, you have safety, you have improved health, you have um, increased sense of joy, you have an increased emotional well-being. That's just from being in a trustworthy relation with another human. We get to be in relationship with Jesus, Jesus who never leaves us. I mean, just from a self-care point of view, trust Jesus, <laughs> be in a relationship with Jesus. Um, I was being a little cheeky earlier when I put up that um, quote from the commentator and kind of rolled my eyes. There was actually a second part to that quote and I ask for forgiveness and I want to share it with you now because it took me from kind of spitting out my coffee to tears pretty much because it is so profoundly simple and I want to put it up again. Humanly speaking, things weren't going well for Paul, but in reality, God was at work and we could change it to our big idea for us today in, in yellow. Humanly speaking, sometimes things aren't going well. But in reality, God is at work. 
God is always at work. And I know Paul knew the truth of this statement, his awareness of purpose, his awareness of suffering, his awareness of blessing, led him to write these verses to the Philippian church that I'm going to read you. And I've put it up in two translations because sometimes when you read a paraphrase, which the message is, the second one, or a different translation, you see things from a different angle or just get um, a different like light bulb go off. And for me, both of these uh, versions or the NIV and then the paraphrase did that. And I really want to share them both with you. So here we go. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And again, same, ver same verses. I am not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm often running and I'm not turning back. There will always be a list. And this side of heaven, God will always be at work. Deuteronomy tells us he goes before us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Psalm tells us he is right here. He lays his hand on you. Isaiah tells us that God will be our rear guard and come from behind. Um, every day this truth remains. And today, as a community, we find ourselves probably in different places, working out our trust in God. And I'm guessing that a lot of you have seen this poem. It's the footprints in the, the sand poem. And I love pictures. I love imagery. And uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with this poem, it, it talks about someone having a dream and seeing two sets of footprints and knowing that Jesus is walking with them and then asking Jesus, hey, how come, like, at the saddest times and the loneliest times of my life, there's only one set of footprints? Did you leave me? And he said you know, my child, I love you, I will never leave you. It's at those exact times that I was carrying you. And um, I know we're all at different places. And if I look at my text this week, um, there's like, we had the best day ever. And, and this picture um, kind of represents, if you guys have been trusting God for something, and, and some, Jesus is right there next to you, his hand is on your shoulder, and you're just like celebrating in his love. But I also know that for some of you, this picture might be more um, how you're feeling, and that's those times where you've just given it to God, and He is carrying you. I have one of those prayers, um, and you just go, I can't do anything here, Lord, and I don't know what's happening. I'm not getting the answers, and I'm in the not yet, but He's carrying you. And um, then this one was a new one for me this week, uh, <laughs> and I had a conversation with someone that this fit so perfectly talking about God working in their life. It says, my child, I never left you. Those places with one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. That long groove over there is where I dragged you for a while. <laughs> and that might be where you are at with trusting God right now. And I also, you know, got a text this week that said, it's a mess. And you might have just like been walking along the beach and had a wave like just knock you over. And all you're doing right now is trying to find the top of the water and God's hand um, to like just have something to hold on to. So 
the band is gifting me <laughs> and I'm gifting you a song that I um, came across while I was preparing and they're going to play it now and it's, it's called You Hold It All Together and I really can't even say much more other than they are the lyrics that just wrap up this whole thing of how, we, how and why and who we trust. God holds it all together and I hope that um, these words will be a gift to you if you are struggling, that they will be a celebration for you if it's that if that's happening you might have a bit of both going on and um, I want to thank the band for for pulling it together for us and yeah so just take time to sit and um, think about trusting God think about those images of footprints in the sand and um, enjoy just enjoy the truth of this song <laughs> 